If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Kick out the jams, motherfuckers. This is Wayne Kramer from the MC5, and you're listening to Rock and Roll Archaeology. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Uh, that's for all the diggers that wrote in last week. Christian Swain here, the rock and roll archaeologist, coming to you from our San Francisco laboratories. We have received some very nice fan mail as of late, um, so we must be doing something right. Uh, again, if you don't know, uh, you can contact us through Facebook at the RNRAP, Instagram at RNR Archaeology, and on Twitter at RNR Archaeology. Hell, you can even call us and leave a message at 650-822-7625. Okay, here's the news. I've been telling you about our new shows as well as our good old tried and true rock and roll shows. We have 12 in the network now and uh, another on the way. I'll, I'll be talking about that in a bit. All the info can be found at our website, pantheonpodcasts.com. We are growing our rock and roll podcast empire nicely and you diggers are responding so much so that we smashed our listening number record uh, last month. Uh, I mean, just totally blew it out the water. Uh, I, I can't thank you guys enough. It's just, it's really overwhelming. It was really just a huge, huge uh, increase in the listenership. We really appreciate it. So you guys are really out there uh, telling your friends and, and we love that. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts either in our Big Pipe, uh, you know, our audio magazine format, or the shows are individually available in their own feeds uh, for a la carte, uh, you know, you know, and of course, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on every platform out there, so it shouldn't be a problem finding us. Um, obviously, you're listening to this one, but I mean the other shows. You can also find this show, uh, Deeper Digs and Rock, and its sister show, Rock and Roll Archaeology, on the Osiris Podcast Network. And 
now you can find us at the Jambase website. Uh, if you don't know, Jambase is an online database, uh, a news portal uh, for live music and festivals. Uh, and yeah, it focuses mostly in the jam band genre. But go to jambase.com, scroll down uh, the homepage, and you'll find us there online. So I, I want to introduce you all uh, to nugs.net. Nugs.net is the destination for live music on demand. They have a growing collection of over 15,000 full-length concert recordings from bands like uh, Pearl Jam, Metallica, and Dead & Company. So you'll never run out of live music to explore. You can listen to a show from last night or from 40 years ago. Uh, I've been watching some shows from Sonic Youth uh, recently because I never got to catch them live. Let me tell you, there is something for every music fan to explore. It's available on desktop, uh, iOS and uh, Android apps, Sonos and Blue OS. And just like us here at Pantheon, the folks at Nugs.net are live music fanatics. So they are offering new subscribers a 35% discount on an annual subscription. Go to Nugs.net backslash Deeper Digs and sign up today. And if you already have a subscription, uh, give the gift of live music to a friend. Again, nugs.net backslash deeper digs for 35% off an annual subscription. That's it for this week. Let's get to our guest. <laughs> All right, this week, we have a very special guest, someone we've been trying to get on the show for a while now. I am very excited to talk with Canadian journalist Martin Popoff, author of over 80 books on rock and roll. Martin has been called heavy metal's most widely recognized journalist. Um, over 20 of the 80 books under his belt both critically evaluate heavy metal and document its history. He is without doubt an expert in the genre. He grew up in British Columbia and like many of us in the early 1970s, uh, was introduced to rock and roll through the osmosis of an older sibling's record collection. First, it was Led Zeppelin and Iron Butterfly, and then he discovered the heaviest of the times, Black Sabbath. Then it was on to Kiss, Deep Purple, Nazareth, Queen, and Canadian super musical heroes Rush, April Wine, and on and on. Like many of us, he grew up reading Rolling Stone, Circus Magazine, Hip Raider, Enemy, and Kerrang!, but interestingly, never identified with any of the big-name writers of the day. Instead, he developed his own voice, and it certainly shows. Martin did the college thing, even received a master's degree while playing drums in local bands. 
1993, he released his first book, Riff Kills Man, 25 Years of Recorded Hard Rock and Heavy Metal. It was a collection of almost 2,000 critical reviews he had written over the years growing up. He then started his own heavy metal magazine, uh, Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles, which ran from 1994 through 2008. Throughout his time at BWMBK, as it's known to fans, he continued to write his review books and expanded into collector guides and unofficial rock biographies of such acts as UFO, Deep Purple, Yes, and most recently, The Clash, which we will be discussing today. So while he is most known for his heavy metal and hard rock writings, he also has a deep passion for punk and prog rock. Okay, let's get with our guest, ladies and gents, Martin Papa. Martin Popoff, welcome to Deeper Digs and Rock. Hey, thanks very much, Christian. This is very cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I guess my first question has to be, you know, uh, how did rock and roll choose you? Wow. Well, I would say, okay, so I'm 56 now, so born in 63. I'd say by 73, I was already, the, the bug had bit me uh, real hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, I remember, uh, this is a, a bit of a crazy story, but I remember in grade four, you were either allowed to do show and tell or play DJ. Mm. And uh, I played DJ and I remember playing volume four in uh, in uh, grade four to my to my shocked classmates. But uh, no, vol- volume four has to be Led Zeppelin's volume four. I uh, no, assume. no. Oh, this is uh, no, this is Black Sabbath. Oh, well, Black Sabbath. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Yeah. Black Sabbath. Uh, for. But basically, uh, you know, buying Circus and Cream and Hit Parader quickly became an expert. You know, by '76, '77, my era. Um, you know, I was a I was a crazy rock and roll expert kind of guy. And but growing up in a small town, so not a lot of concerts, just a, a handful until more or less the early 80s. And then when the new wave of British heavy metal hit, you know, we're able to drive down on our own to Spokane, Washington. And they had all these great legendary record stores there, Strawberry Jams, Magic Mushrooms. You'd be buying sounds and Kerrang and Melody Maker and all that, buying all, up all sorts of imports. So, you know. Being being having a tendency to hard rock, and I also was around and totally into original punk at the time as well. Okay, so I was okay, okay. So I was into Prague as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Prague came, you know, around uh, first year university, I'd say, in 1981. But punk was immediate, seven, late 76, 77. Um, but yeah, being a being a metal guy by tendency, you know, when the new wave of British heavy metal hit, all of a sudden there was all sorts of metal to buy, and then of course. Um, from around your part, San Francisco, there was thrash eventually, but L.A., hair metal. So hey, the 80s were a great time for heavy metal. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so you mentioned something that I, I want to go back to and have you explain, and and that is, you know, the, the new wave of heavy metal, which is uh, a, a iteration of metal. And I think you kind of have a theory that, you know, you, you break it into at least three categories of how heavy metal uh, becomes 
uh, you know, such a dominating force, especially in the 1980s. And I think it starts with uh, about 1970. Uh, we'd probably both agree with this, with uh, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin all being, you know, uh, rising to the occasion, wouldn't you say? Yes, and your I heap. Uh, I as we were talking uh, before we went on air, oh, I, a little I, green room session. Yes, yeah. Yes, I yeah. I went and um, inducted your I heap into the the Hall of Heavy Metal History, and uh, you know one of the points I made there was that they are uh, as original as Black Sabbath and Deep Purple, and I usually leave Led Zeppelin out, out of that conversation because they aren't as insistently heavy metal as those other three. But um, basically, yeah, right. they, they they have their acoustic side. Uh, yes, most famous. Yeah. On that Led Zeppelin three, and yeah, you know, and, obviously uh, some of some of the other songs in uh, in the other the other albums that, that come out. Although they get, uh, they it seem they get a little heavier as time goes on, wouldn't you say? Yes, yeah. and they're early, and also you know, if you want to include Led Zeppelin, you also start moving towards the Stooges and MC five and that sort of stuff too. But oh, that, that's the punk side of things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, th- those guys are claimed by metal as well, and I, I claim them by metal as well. But basically, Sabbath is. You know, Friday the 13th, um, February, February the 13th, 1970. Heap is July 1970. Deep Purple in Rock, their first truly metal album and very, very heavy for 1970 is also July of 1970. So, yeah, that that's the first thing. But to get back to, you know, the thing I brought up, the new wave of British heavy metal, that that is 1980. Um, or, or late yep. 79 yep. thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where metal has this massive explosion in Britain. And there's all sorts of bands, uh, you know, Motorhead, Saxon, Deep, uh, uh, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Tigers yeah. of Pantang, yeah. all those. Yeah. And Judas Priest has an interesting place in there because they're almost, they're almost like what I call the second wave of original heavy metal or the second wave of metal, which is Judas Priest comes in 74, comes really hard in 76. And at that point, your little wave in there, your little cozy wave, is uh, is Priest, Rainbow, UFO, Thin Lizzy, uh, and then Stateside, ah, yeah. Ed Nugent, Aerosmith, Kiss, okay. uh, Blue Cult. So there's yeah. that sort of that middle ground, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are you know the the three that you referred to before. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about original three and put them in order, um, I usually consider the three waves being the original, this little bump in the mid '70s, and then the new wave of British heavy metal. What about the thrash metal scene that uh, comes out of the 80s? Right. So that's 83, 84. Metallica essentially starts that with Kill 'Em All. Um, and quickly, uh, you know, Anthrax joins them. Uh, Exodus eventually joins them. Exodus is early, but um, they don't join them. They, they kind of screw up and don't get the album out till 85. Um, but yeah, it's those bands and then, and then preceded by the likes of um, Anvil, Venom, Motorhead, Diamond Head, Tank, uh, Warfare, those sorts of bands, a little bit of the hardcore punk, you know, the post, the post punk that's not the, not the, uh, you know, the, the artsy post punk, but the post punk that is the hardcore, that's in there as well. So yeah, thrash is, uh, thrash is the next thing that essentially, thrash and hair metal together. Yeah, I was going to ask about hair metal. Yeah, they just sweep away the new wave of British heavy metal. All of a sudden, you know, someone comes in and just turns the lights off on the UK and it's all over, like starkly all over. Uh, and and the access moves to San Francisco and L.A. Well, do you think uh, uh, maybe MTV had a lot to do with that? Yes, MTV starts the summer of 1981. Um, 
and uh, and you know so but but metal doesn't really start going even in in the hair metal days until about eighty three with right. Quiet Riot and Rat and Twisted Sister from New York, Dawkin, uh, Motley Crue's already going at that point. Van Halen's your original hair metal band, but you know they're obviously an anomaly. They're way out of time. They started in seventy eight. Yeah. But what MTV is very important because MTV uh, does not does not turn away and shun metal the likes of you know say the the Hall of Fame might or Rolling Stone magazine or you know any number of sources radio um, there there's all sorts of things that 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 are you know never become metal friendly MTV was friendly to a whole pile of different things so I, I never want to say MTV was metal centric but metal uh, MTV was metal friendly. It was metal friendly, and then uh, you know it created uh, you know the Headbangers Ball uh, specifically for the metal crowd. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, wasn't it Friday nights or Saturday nights? Uh, you know, when uh, when all those kids were uh, were were home, uh, they could they could have their own piece of MTV for a few hours, right? Exactly. Yeah, and then of course, hair metal was very photogenic, videogenic, yeah, whatever. And that's the point. Yeah, you had lots of that. So. Yeah, and maybe that's why uh, maybe the British rockers uh, weren't quite up to uh, uh, what they got out of the LA scene, which was, you know, uh, let's face it, uh, pretty boys in makeup. Yes, and the and the British guys, I mean, to their credit, they said there's no way we're going to put on makeup and tease up her hair and that. But also, there, there's always the running joke that the British guys are just not as good looking as <laughs> as what you're, as what you're going to get out of in in sunny California or whatever. And there was some truth to that. I mean, most of the British bands were not did did not did not look the part of the hair metal bands, you know, to put it politely. But yeah, for for various reasons, and and some of those bands tried that sort of music and it just fell flat on its face. You know, you're the likes of Wrathchild and, and Shy and, and Raven went to this kind of athletic rock look and who else was in there? Tiger Tales and Thunder eventually, London Choir Boys, it, just this disparate bunch of, you know, goons, you know, bands that, that kind of tried at it and, and it just they, they all fell fat, uh, flat <laughs> Face. It's only Def Leppard that broke out of that, but by being just also just a strange anomaly. Yeah, I guess uh, Def Leppard, you know, a, a, a recent inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, uh, did uh, you know uh, conquer America by by being more pop centric, I think, than the others, wouldn't you say? Yes, except and and I really it, it rubs me the wrong way when Joe Elliott says, "Oh, we were never a new wave of British heavy metal band. We didn't want to." Fine, if you don't want to associate with that, but their first album, like you know. If you took all the spokes of the wheel of all the different, you know, disparate sounds of the new wave of British heavy metal and and the, and the actual hub would be a record like On Through the Night. It was dead center new wave of British heavy metal. But it was on a major label and they were they were already very professional and quite accomplished. The next album, you know, is is clearly enough of a new wave of British heavy metal band album. But then, yes, they got very poppy in the Mutt Lang production. Then it got, got kind of worse and worse or better and better, depending on <laughs> what I say worse. But, you know, yeah, it rubs me the wrong way when they when they don't want to be associated with that uh, because they, they clearly were and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, he knows it and everybody knows it that probably the, the most revered Def Leppard album of all time will be High and Dry, followed by Pyromania or the first one, and then it goes down from there. So, right, right. Uh, so that's Def Leppard. Well, you know, there, there's a, a band uh, that you haven't mentioned that, you know, even today is still huge, and that's ACDC. 
Yes, and another anomaly. I mean, uh, basically a, uh, a, a band with a sound all their own, an incredibly simple sound. It was almost too simple when we, you know, we were, were hearing that for the first time. It was it was not until Let There Be Rock where, you know, it was heavy enough because that was the first really heavy album where, where there was a lot of uh, fuzz on the guitars and, and it was just very distorted and very powerful. But um, yeah, just a band that kind of- kind A good of like, bar, uh, well, they, they, they come out of the Australian bar scene. I mean, they're- uh, yeah. they, they, you know, it's so it's it, it, it and you know uh, again in in being down under uh, and away from all of these other uh, influences. I mean, you know, we, we don't we. This wasn't uh, the internet days where you could, you know, pretty much figure anything out in five minutes. Uh, you know, it, it, you, you ha- really had to work for it, and you were separated, uh, you know, through space, uh, and uh, you know, therefore, somebody from Australia would, you know, come out completely different than uh, those in uh, yes. in the UK, yes, and those and in America. Yes, and no. Um, I, an interesting thing about them is, yes, I mean, I even asked Malcolm this once in an interview, and and he kind of explained it, kind of neat to me it's like you have to play the boogies in the bars or 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 they'll just throw bottles at you or coins or whatever or you'll get booed off the stage so the the the, the trick of acdc the Is really the, that, about what you them, just said the boogie they they have yeah. that in spades yes well it's the simplicity too and and i remember talking to dave mustaine once about this this as well it's like it's like you play a, a you know a double bass drum thrash song and and it's such a wall of sound that it might sound great on record but it doesn't sound that great on stage acdc on record might sound a little bit too uneventful on record but on stage it's got just the um, enough amount of action where a bad pa system or whatever it, you you will get a thumping rock and roll show out of that simplicity and then the other thing i want to make make a point about acdc is they they were so they do come from this this strange tradition i mean it's not that a lot of bands were like them it's funny there were bands after them that were like acdc like angel city and rose tattoo and heaven and um but ACDC was kind of unique. But the thing is, they quickly went over to the UK and they, they essentially became a UK band. They were around the UK all the time. That is true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Europe. And then they came to America fairly early on. But uh, but essentially, um, you know, they were they were participating in the rock and roll markets by about, uh, you know, 76, 77. Now, of course, I can't leave this uh, this particular piece of our discussion here without um your hometown heroes, Rush, where, where do they fit into the pantheon of heavy metal? Well, they are the inventors, the grandfathers, the undisputed champions of a genre called progressive metal. Um, you know, before them, there was practically nobody that you could put in a camp that sounded like them. I mean, there were disparate elements, King King Crimson, Vandergraaf Generator, Heavy Yes, Heavy Genesis, The Who even, Cream even to a certain extent, Led Zeppelin even to a certain extent, but nobody quite... Um, basically what Rush all, did, all they, examples uh, that they put on that uh, that singular uh, cover album that they did. Yeah. Yeah. And and those, you know, those are mostly their stated uh, influence as well. Not not so much the Vandergraaf and King Crimson. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the funny thing about them, you know, we just said, what's the trick of ACDC? Rush is a very simple trick. It's basically making progressive rock albums with your distortion pedal turned on. 
That's, that's all it is. That's all they did. And uh, and they they so they would have been they would have been yeser Genesis if they if they left the distortion pedal pedals exactly, off. Exactly. Exactly. So so um, essentially, and and nobody. I mean, they were. It was almost like they had the audacity to quote unquote. I know this is a touchy word talking about Rush, but overplay, right? Um, you know, anybody who hates Rush says they overplay tastelessly. Everybody who loves Rush says they're geniuses. And then there's a middle sensible ground that says, you know what? It's And, and I kind of take this this uh, this this um, tack a little bit is that um, nobody dared play as much as Neil Peart on a, on a normal, simple rock song. So he was the only one doing it. And that made them very unique. So and then you had Getty's voice. So basically, Rush. Is a I, band I, might, that, I might add Neil's yeah. lyrics as well. Yep, great lyrics, uh, but a lot of people wrote great lyrics as well too. Um, uh, but, I, I'm not sure in metal the, the ideals that uh, that uh, uh, Mr. Peart uh, put in are are really duplicated in other metal bands. Right? Yeah, I was I was more so leaning, I guess, towards Prague. Um, you know, I, I think his lyrics are similar to Prague lyrics. True. I don't yeah, Having yeah. thought about it very much, but no, but but the neat thing about Rush, of course, is uh, is that they they essentially created a sound. They 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 hammered that sound home for about four or five albums, and then they they started changing a lot. You know, to their credit and to their detriment, they they will admit they made some mistakes, uh, and I think they did too. Um, but they are fearless, creative people and and growers. And basically, um, you know, no one ever really was able to uh, duplicate or follow Rush. Um, you know, those who did were were you know taking things in a different direction, starting with say Queensrÿche, Fates. Warning, Dream Theater, and on and on, and you get a whole strange progressive metal thing. But basically, while Rush was operating, I would say the only bands that that you really you could compare them to in a big way would be maybe, and not even in a big way, would be Sticks and Kansas. Yeah, I, I, I can see uh, their contemporary Sticks and Kansas uh, being included into what uh, what uh, the 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 trio was doing. Um, but you know, to your point, um, you know they they are the fountainhead of uh, a progressive metal, uh, yeah. and uh, and the other two don't quite fit uh, into that category. Um, you know, uh, so you know here we are at 2019, and we're talking about bands that you know kind of start in 19. 70 uh, blossoms uh, in the later uh, 70s uh, turns into a, a giant thing in the 80s and you know and we still have the you know the, the thrash metal scene it, it's still kind of uh, going out there but you know since we brought up rush uh, you know uh, as everybody is aware uh, Neil Parrott has retired and that's probably the end of rush period which brings me to uh, the point that this music is has this athleticism to it that is difficult to continue to do, um, you know, like a professional athlete uh, into, you know, old age. I mean, you know, the Rolling Stones are about ready to uh, hit uh, the, uh, the tour uh, again playing stadiums, um, but they can because their blues-based music, um, you know, you can play into your 80s. I, I just don't think you can do that with with the the metal uh, music. Do you, do you agree with that or not? Yeah, that's a really good point, and it and it is pretty true, and it goes for Prague as well. But you know, yeah, I always liken heavy metal to, um, you know, some of it is 
theoretically good and and you look at it almost like like say the most extreme math metal relapse core math core whatever um you know even even your most extreme thrash to me i i've often likened heavy metal to uh you know, lifting up the hood on a hot car and a bunch of guys like gathering around it and admiring this beautiful engine, right? Mm -hmm. It's there. It's 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 a theoretical thing, though. If you drove it too fast, you would get arrested. If you drove it too fast again, you'd lose your license, you, you know, and your car sits in your driveway, right? So, you know, it, there's there's this theoretical thing about a hot car in the middle of a big city that you can't use. I mean, you can't use it anywhere. You can't, you can't, it's illegal everywhere to drive it too fast, right? So, so there's this, there's this thing about how it's this technological marvel. And that gets to your point because heavy metal, you know, there's a lot to remember because it's very, very progressive. Even when it's straight heavy metal, there's a lot going on. Like you bring up the thrash bands. I'm going to, I'm going to review the new death angel album for, um, for uh for our banger tv thing tomorrow um we're, we're gonna do a, a recording of that and uh you know and they aren't even the trickiest of thrash bands it goes way beyond death angel but there's a lot to remember so there's one thing for old age another thing is vocal fry on your voice you know screaming screaming your lungs out i mean there's a lot of heavy metal that is that has vocal fry and it's not straight singing that's hard to do in your old age and even the regular singing has an operatic quality to it you know you talk about someone like rob halford or or uh, bruce, bruce dickinson, dickinson or jeff right. tate or whatever yeah. you know three tremors you know yeah. um so so the operatic the, the hitting the high notes the writing it at the high end of everybody's range, uh, and then and then the the you know the exertion for the drummers. I mean, drummers will tell you, I'm a drummer myself. I mean, they'll they'll always kind of uh, you know downplay the fact it's not that physical if you do it right, right? You know, it's it's not it's not that big a deal. But um, it, it there is a lot of note density there, and forget about it being physical and causing you a heart attack. There's people like Neil Peart. You know, a lot of these drummers of this age have back problems and tendinitis problems, tendis elbow problems, arthritis. Um, and then Alex is another good example, Alex from Rush. So again, um, all this heavy, heavy Alex dude, Lifeson, yeah. complicated playing, Alex Lifeson. He's got, he's got you know, arthritis problems, right? So um, you're right. Uh, in, in all sorts of, it is a very athletic music, just like Prague. You know, yes is, is, is slowing down. Uh, because of this as well, right? So, uh, yeah, prog and metal uh, share. That. Well, they're just adding new younger members. Uh, that seems to be uh, a thing nowadays yeah. as well. Well, metal does that too. Metal does that too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we just uh, I just saw Queensrÿche here uh, in a club, and um, uh, they uh, you know had had uh, several younger uh, uh, members that uh, were helping to uh, to uh, keep up the load, uh, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Queensryche's a great example because, I mean, the drummer problem was not for that reason. The other guitarist problem was not for that reason. I mean, you're, I know you're not saying this is the reason, but it's never it's not the reason even for Todd Latour, the singer. But the neat thing is, is that that that's the key. Uh, if you bring in another singer, OK, number one, that's hard to do and, and have the fans not revolt. But if you bring one yeah, in, Priest, they, well, Priest knows that better than anybody. Yeah. But if you bring one in, it's it's a really smart idea to bring one in that's 10 years younger than everybody else and, <laughs> right. and, and who has great vocal technique because the singer is the weakest link of all of them there are all sorts of examples of these bands that have to go by the wayside because of because of that weak link the uh, the the voice's instrument yeah the 
uh, as a singer myself, uh, the hard thing with metal is that, you know, you as the vocalist uh, have to be above the frequencies of those guitars. And uh, that's where where it's that, you know, the 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 uh, the alto or soprano type of uh, vocalist uh, kind of fits uh, in the genre because you just got to be above those uh, those uh, those frequencies or you'll get lost. Neat. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Martin, we, we've obviously established your uh, bona fides. Um, so why writing? How, how did you get into uh, to that? Well, okay. So uh, after uh, university, so I did a BA in English, and I did an MBA, and then I worked for Xerox for a little bit, and then me and a buddy started a desktop publishing. That's what it was called oh, in the old days, print-broking right. business. So I, I was comfortable with the idea of – pages and layouts and books and things like that. Um, basically, what happened was um, I started writing record reviews just for myself to kind of organize all these different disparate elements in one place, all these different genres that, were, that was happening. Long and short of it, I self-published a book in 1993 of 2000 heavy metal record reviews. That got reissued in 97. 94, uh, started on with a, another buddy. We started a, a magazine called Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles, which was a print magazine that ran from 94 to 08. And that was a thriving, high-traffic website. Been around since the very beginnings of the net. Um, so I uh, started getting all those interviews and writing and writing even more. So 94 really picked up. And then as you go along, you know, the idea with doing all these books, I guess I got about 85 books now. Yeah, uh, you're very prolific. Well, thank you. Yeah. So so as it goes on, um, you know, you get I just want it one more time. Eighty five yeah. books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I've always had this idea that I don't want to write a book on a band unless I can bring some new stuff to the table, i.e. interview footage. So I normally wouldn't write a book on a band unless I've talked to them myself. 20, 25, 30 times. And, um, and so that kind of happens as you, as you move along and you're talking to them about their new record and, and their new tour and all that stuff, writing for the magazine. So we did that. Other website gigs came along. So, you know, that, that's how it happened. It just ramped up. Uh, oh, yeah. And so one other point. In, in 2000, that's when I went full-time. I, I quit the other thing. We sold our little business. Um, and I went full-time rock critic at that point. Because you see, though, you know, you see those lines crossing on a chart saying, dang, you know, I, I don't make a lot of money doing this, this, this business thing. But, and, I don't, and I only make a tiny little bit doing this rock thing. But, man, if I spent all my time in this rock thing, would it be that amount? And it's like, well, it'll be close. Okay, let's do it. So that's what I did. So I, in, in 2000, I essentially went full time, you know, and getting all these books out. I think one of the other reasons I can do so much is because all of that, you know, with the change in the industry, all that other stuff kind of fell away. The pay went down, down, down. I even write for free quite often. Uh, now, if I if I'm really want an interview with somebody, um, but um you know, all of that falls away. And what's left is the books, because, you know, I, I put out a lot of stuff through publishers, but I'm also not scared to self-publish. So at that point, you know, if I'm writing something that I know is totally uncommercial and I just want to do it myself, I've got my database to sell to, etc. I've got this built in thing where I only have to rely on myself to do this. So I'm one of the few guys where the writing of the books thing is is like the full-time job versus most of these other guys even guys with 10 or 12 or 20 books out they're doing a lot of other stuff on the side let's not even forget about regular day jobs they even do you know many of them even do that too right so that's why i'm able to get so much out 
That's crazy. So, um, uh, you self-published uh, your uh, uh, your your reviews, your album reviews. That was your first book. But yeah. what was what was the first band that you felt that you were comfortable enough to you know write an entire book about? Oddly enough, that turned out to be Blue Oyster Cult, which is because I love Blue Oyster Cult. The stories behind the songs are amazing. The stories behind the lyrics, the music, everything about that band is really, really interesting. And and to this day, it probably is the most interesting band I've written a book on. So what happened? Really? So, I mean, you've written books on Queen, uh, 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 Pink Floyd, The Clash, uh, 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 many of the heavy metal bands that we've already spoken about today. Why Blue Oyster Cult? Well, Richard Meltzer, Patti Smith, Helen Wheels, uh, Sandy Perlman and the Imagino Saga, um, Buck Dharma, Don't Fear the Reaper, Godzilla, the, the biker conspiracy stuff, the UFO stuff, the uh, secret society stuff. It's just deadly interesting. It's all just really, really um, cool stuff. And, you know, and, and this is a band that was big enough that they were essentially— Are you, are you telling me that, 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 that there's more to the name— cult than just a a, a neat uh, uh, oh, sure. hard rock band's name <laughs> for sure for sure and you know so so oddly what happened was so so um, Brian Slago from Metal Blade is a buddy of mine so so we had this little run where we put out through Metal Blade Records Metal Blade Books I don't even think we even called it that we just put Metal Blade Records on the back Blue Oyster Cult book UFO book Dio book and Rainbow book so those were all very early for me and the Blue Oyster Cult since so it went from Brian when it, when it was long out of print, I self-published it, and now it's out through my UK publisher, Weimer, again. So it's been through three three iterations, that book. And it was always, you know, a, a good enough seller all along because a lot of people do realize they're just an interesting story. So, yeah, that was the first one. Deep Purple uh, was, was fairly soon after that. I did an authorized Rush book. That goes back to 2003, so that's pretty pretty long time ago as well. Um, so, yeah, those those were the early ones. Um, so why, you know, there's there's a lot of musical genres out there. Um, why was metal the music that spoke to you the most? Is is it, you said you're a drummer? Is it because the the the, the drumming is that is that you know kind of your style of drumming? Part of that, uh, heavy metal drumming is interesting. I don't know. It's, there's just something about loud guitars that is interesting to uh, to young boys, you know, 13, 14, 15. <laughs> it was. I mean, now yeah. it's rap and pop, but yeah. um, back then it was anyways. And, and you know, these long-haired guys, you know, mustaches sometimes on them, but, uh, you know, big stage shows like Kiss, Aerosmith looked cool, Ted Nugent looked amazing. So, um, you know, and I guess lyrically it's fairly juvenile, I suppose. Um, and you are juvenile when you're not 13 or 14, but no, there's just something about, I, I don't know quite what it is, but again, it's, it, it does remind me of that gathering around, uh, you know, uh, looking under the hood of a hot car, you know, young boys like hot cars too. So, um, yeah, heavy metal, just something about, something about a guitar through a distortion pedal is just magical. So, uh, if if I, if I if I might throw something out there, it's almost as if these are Marvel superheroes to our generation, as opposed to you know today's actual Marvel superheroes being you know uh, 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 the cultural touchstone. Uh, that was the case with these metal players; they all were larger than life, and I you know would probably kiss being the the greatest example of that. 
Yeah, and you know, I to, to put a fine oh, a comic book characters, really. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely Kiss obviously is extreme, but no, to put a finer point on it again, this idea of why heavy metal. I, I've always had this strange idea that um you know how 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 you can make how how a p I, I had this talk with Steve Vai, how how a high note on a guitar is almost like the clearest form of sound, or a piano note is the clearest form of sound. And then everything else, a saxophone, a guitar through a distortion pedal, has like baggage with it. It has something different about it, right? A, a richness, right? Well, and I've often thought also, why do I hate pop so much? Like it actually makes me angry, right? Really? Uh, but putting aside that, when I try the, today's pop, I, I can understand. But even back in the day, was well. Let, you... Let's not get into that. But, but <laughs> no, no. The point I'm trying to make is, but sometimes I can listen to a a, a a pop song of today and go, that is the most. If if you made if you made a uh, like, it's the difference between coffee and beer. And uh, and orange juice as well. There, there's there's just something about if if you tried to design the most perfect, best tasting music, it might be pop, or it might be it might be orange juice versus beer and coffee. Which you know uh, you know you give that to a kid and they spit it out. They say this this tastes terrible, right? So getting back around to heavy metal, I've always had this idea that if you wanted to make the most impressive sounding music to a guy to make him go, wow, that is cool, right? You'd make like a fast Judas Priest song with Rob Halford singing high. You'd have this guitarist who's shredding away, who's who's playing at the far end of guitar accomplishment. Not not a tasteful blues thing like B.B. King, but but I'm talking straight impressive, straight acrobatics, right? Like this guy sounds like a genius. Right. Yeah. You, 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 you're not going to say that about BB King. You're going to say that about uh, Eddie Van Halen, the word genius. Right. So it, uh, it, it's, it, you know what I, I mean? I, I might disagree with you in, in, in not uh, assuming BB King is a genius in his own right, playing a single note. Um, but I, I see your point that it, with Eddie Van Halen, it's obvious uh, anybody okay. can get that. Yes, but the other way of of saying this is you can be a bullshit artist and create abstract art and sell it for tens of millions of dollars, but you can't <laughs> bullshit your way into a Robert Bateman painting or or a or a Rembrandt painting, right? You have to be able to do you it. You have to have the That's skill. The and and with, with metal, you, is, have, is you, you have yeah, you had to put the time in to get that good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. so you can't you can't bullshit being Eddie Van Halen, but but. Many, many people. And then and then you can all argue about, oh, are you really as soulful as B.B. King? Blah, blah, blah. It's all abstract. It's all opinion. But this, there's no opinion about having to be good to play heavy metal. Um, you know, forget about like the drummers in the 70s or whatever, but pick pick all the drummers in thrash bands. Now you have to be amazing. Guitarists, you always had to be amazing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to be really particularly amazing to play Led Zeppelin, but you had to be amazing to play Judas Priest and, and to play Iron Maiden and to play all the thrash of today to, to sing like Robert, you know, or, or like um, like Rob Halford. You had to be technically amazing to, to sing in a blues band. You didn't have to be technically amazing you could you could abuse yourself you could smoke you could drink you could stay up late and you can go on and do it and you can bullshit your way through it but so again getting back to the point why heavy metal there's a there's this funny thing about it that 
it it is craftsmanship. Well, you, you it's the car. It, it's let's go back it, to the car uh, uh, motif. Exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. it's it, it's it's a Ferrari, and uh, you know, to your point, you can only take it out at certain places. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you know, when you, when you do let it run, boy, does it run. Yeah, and and you know, a lot of people look at a Ferrari and say, okay, you're a goofball for wanting to own a red Ferrari, like Engve with his seven Ferraris or whatever. But you know, if if you had a uh, oh, what do, what do we want to say a uh, a a nice small Audi or something, right? You know, you know, a nice behaved, sensibly designed car, you're considered classy, right? So Rolling Stone is classy. The people who get into the Hall of Fame are classy. Jan Werner is classy. Laura Nero and Batty Smith are classy, right? Um, you know, Eric Clapton is classy, but is Warren D. Martini from from Rat classy? No, he's not considered classy. But he can play rings around Eric Clapton, and yes, you know what? He can be as soulful as Eric Clapton. Okay, all right. So you know, we've we've spent a lot of time on on the metal scene, but you also uh, seem to have an affinity for uh, punk as well. Yes, loved punk right from the beginning. And the reason is is really sad and embarrassing from the beginning. But you know, I'll, I'll say it, and this everybody says this uh, in in my uh, in my shoes is there was not enough heavy metal to go around, and punk was uh, an approximation of heavy metal um, at, at at that time. I mean, there were you you could you could count on on uh, you know four hands how many heavy metal albums came out in any of the years in the seventies, right? So when punk comes along, it's pretty dangerous and heavy sounding. You know, the damned with new road and yeah. stabbed back the Sex Pistols album, the, the first and second Saints albums. Like these were really heavy albums at the time, right? And it's 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 funny. It is kind well, of or names point. like the Dead Kennedys. Yeah, well, GBH, that's, grandiose that's bodily harm. Uh, yes. You know, uh, fear. Uh, you know, on and on. So but, yeah, they just sound things. dangerous. Yes, but the funny thing is, when you get to those bands, heavy metal bands are running rings around them, circles around them in terms of heaviness. So they're now obsolete as far as a, you know the angry metalhead goes. But you know, but the but the funny thing is, I felt the exact same way. I loved grunge when it happened, right? And I felt the exact same way. You know, you take the Saints album against a Blue Oyster Cult album or a Kiss album, and it just sounded dangerous and way more heavy, yet it wasn't heavy metal. Same thing with grunge. You listen to a Soundgarden album or a Green River or a Mudhoney album against the most egregious of the hair metal albums, and you go, wow, this thing over here that doesn't even think it's heavy is heavier. It's way cooler. It's more dangerous. You don't know what's going to go on. These guys sound like heroin addicts, and guess what? They, they are. are. <laughs> you know, and and you know, and, and and it just sounds dangerous, and you're scared of it, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. so that was the cool thing about grunge. You know, even even a lot of things that happen, even on the so-called pop Nirvana album, you know, his vocal is heavier. All across that album, whether he's singing a pop song or not, is heavier than the most egregious hair metal vocal because the hair metal vocals are just getting thinner and higher and more girly. Well, and more pop. Uh, you know, the, the, the power ballad took over and yeah, uh, that, that didn't but, help. And uh, you yeah. know, and let's say let's call Guns N' Roses probably the fulcrum uh, uh, with maybe Metallica and, and the thrash metal scene just underneath it be already beginning to make the change, uh, yeah. which led to, you know, the opening for, for grunge to come and uh, yeah. 
as a, as a kind of a, a radio friendly version of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, to get to get back to it, I mean, punk. So 77, I would have been 14 years old and we're getting seeing this stuff in the magazines or seeing a little yeah. bit on TV. Ramon, Sex Pistols. Yeah. Uh, but getting yeah. to getting to Spokane and buying. I remember the first uh, the first punk things I got, I believe, would have been that French New Wave compilation. Um that had the damned on it. I know the damned are credited with the first punk album, but I remember getting the first clash album right away. Got a Canadian issue. So it wasn't right away, I suppose. Uh, the sex pistols. I did get the import of the sex pistols right away. The damned. So it was those ones. And then also, um, a little bit of Ramones, uh, certainly the first, um, um, dead boys, young, loud and snotty. Mm-hmm. Ramones is a funny one because it fit into this thing where my friends and I could not get past his vocals and considered them kind of a novelty band because the vocals bothered us so much. It's very odd. Um, yet, yet the rest of yet the rest of the musical you know presentation was actually one of the heaviest of uh, of all those bands. Even though it had a melody to it, you know, it was wall to wall power chords with the Ramones all the time, right? Yeah, to me, it was, uh, uh, I just found them funny. They were, you know, I'd throw them on and have a good time. Uh, I, I was never bothered by uh, Johnny's uh, vocals. Uh, more uh, that they, they just, <laughs> they, they just didn't seem real. And, and, uh, and the lyrics are just hilarious. Yeah, but you know, almost, when almost to a Monty Python esque <laughs> level. Too. Well, I, I just remember when I was fourteen, I didn't think they were funny because they had dark glasses on. They're from New York City. They were all in leather jackets. They were thinking <laughs> about sniffing glue and beating people up with baseball bats. They they did not seem oh, funny. They were all they all had the same stupid name. <laughs> they all looked yeah. exactly the same. They it, it just to me it was uh, you know as opposed to some of the L.A. punk bands uh, that I would see yeah. like um, uh, like Fear or uh, several others uh, that yeah. you know were literally dangerous. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just didn't seem so how old like that. I'm, 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 I'm 57. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're about the same age here. So, yeah. well, so, you know, you're seeing those bands probably, you're, you're maybe a couple of years ahead of you too, uh, yeah. because I'm in LA and you're in yeah. Toronto. Yeah. Uh, or and outside. I was, I was from a small town too. Yeah. Don't, yeah. yeah. So I'm not ever seeing, I never saw a punk band for years and years and years. So, so yeah. And, and uh, so, but you're, you know, those bands you're seeing, the LA bands were dangerous as hell. And, and, you know, w- we had no LA bands in our record collection because none of them could get it together to put a record out. I mean, <laughs> same with Toronto. There were, there was one band we loved the diodes. It was a super heavy first album and then they they went poppy, but there were no LA albums in 77, 78, 79, not, not well, 79, but, by then there was a little bit dickies i remember and um but um yeah i mean if you were if you were uh in a big city and you were you know you were hip enough to actually get into those things at, at a young age like that i could see how it could scare the hell out of you for sure oh yeah go to a black flag concert sometime uh, yeah. <laughs> uh so um uh but you you agree that uh that the the the, the punk element you know we've we've already established that uh with metal it starts in 1970 uh and you would agree that uh the punk uh uh side of things starts with the MC5, right? Yes. So I, I wrote a book, 120,000 words that ends in 1971 called Who Invented Heavy Metal? And I'm thinking of doing the same thing for punk. So I've, I've you know, peripherally 
looked looked into uh, this a lot. So to give you not a crazy long answer, but I'll give you the the the, the abridged version. Please. Um, what I think is uh, is uh, garage rock through MC5 and the Stooges, through New York Dolls, um, through and then of course New York Dolls and the second version of coming of the Stooges is is raw power New York Dolls and in too much too soon. Um, and then a, a really important thing that that I would always stress in this is uh, you can look this up on YouTube is the um, the television rehearsals from 1974. Television yeah. were way more of a punk band in 1974 than they would be in 1977. That is an incredible little bit of black and white footage that people should see. So 1974, and then there's also Ramones footage from about 75. And, uh, and I think it might even be early 75. There's dictators who people forget about. I think they should be included. Then there's also a fair bit of a scene um, that I think should get more notice coming up in, in Akron, Cleveland, that whole, you know, um, rocket rocket from the tombs turning into Perubu and Dead Boys. That's 75, 76. There's some other bands, Eels, blah, blah, blah. Now, the UK is an interesting case where um, – the UK claims uh, sort of a, a lineage back to pub rock, which I think is a red herring and, and should be downgraded, I think. Uh, I don't think there's there's not much. Pub rock's a funny term. Like it, it, it literally has to do – pub rock can mean country rock, laid back country rock in the UK, or it can mean sped up R&B. Like like Doctor Feelgood getting into Eddie and the Hot Rods, uh, maybe Ducks Deluxe, that kind of thing, right? Mm. And people always say, you know, that all oh, that heavy sped up Doctor Feelgood is the start of punk rock. I don't think it really has much at all. I think literally what happens is England steals punk rock from from the likes of being influenced by the Stooges, especially when Iggy stays there in '73 when yeah, the new because Dolphins of Bowie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when, when the dolls go there and the drummer dies, Billy Mercy in 72, and Malcolm McLaren stealing ideas from Richard Hell and and applying them to the Sex Pistols. And and yes, the, the influence of, of the very first time the Ramones go there. So there's all these things that uh, there's there's no in, in. So what I'm saying is there's no musical lineage at all in the UK, homegrown lineage of punk rock to their own music. There really isn't. Um, but so it's all stolen from the states. But then what happens is that is that the UK, they're such fast learners that they essentially take over. And and that 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 one little bit of uh, of fashion sense that comes from Richard Hell and the spiky hair and the and the, um, uh, safety, the safety pins. Yeah, 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 yeah. That gets applied by Malcolm McLaren and, and his wife, uh, Vivian Westwood. Yes. Right. Yeah. And then and then within weeks or months or days, partners, the Clash have their own punk style. Yeah. The Damned have their own punk style. And all of a sudden, punk explodes over there. So. So so the stuff that you that you think uh, you tick off all the boxes and say as a punk band, they quickly all become UK bands because every American band has some individuality to them, except for one. And that's the Dead Boys. The Dead Boys are almost like the spinal tap. You know, if, if you were to make a, you know, a, a, a really schlocky movie about about a punk 
a, a punk band, you would you would make the Dead Boys, right? <laughs> so the Dead Boys are the only band that that are like that dead center, exactly a punk band in every way from America. But Britain starts having tons and tons of them, and they have this forty five RPM culture that that causes a, an explosion of music that that really didn't quite happen in the states as quickly although it did um you know everybody you know they everybody got into it but i i think in the uk they had more of an independent uh record thing which was a which was a big uh you know uh road paver for the new wave of british heavy metal as well that's that's how all that happened so that's my uh Longer-winded answer than I <laughs> on the origins of punk. Let's talk about your your latest book, which uh, is uh, on the Clash, uh, and it's a a breakdown uh, of all the albums and all the songs. So, um, tell us tell how that came about, and you know, do you, do you think that the Clash sits at the 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 top of uh, of the heap uh, when it comes to this 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 particular musical genre? Okay, so this publisher, Voyager Press, unfortunately, they are closing down their music book division. So I was getting all these great deals to do all these really cool books. So I did five books that are album by album books. Yeah, yeah. And what those ones are, are I interview, you know, semi-celebrities, celebrities, super fans, etc. And we do a Q&A on every studio album. I did five of those. And so that was uh, Maiden, Queen, ACDC, Rush, and somebody else, Pink Floyd. But... What they also had me do, I did two books like this Clash one. I did a Led Zeppelin one the same way. All the albums, all the songs they're called, right? And so what this is, is I had to, it's just absolutely straight me, monastic, sitting on the top of the mountain, writing an analysis of every single Clash song for, for about two pages, basically, with yeah, pictures, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. 400, 500 words on every last damn Clash song. Um, although I got some complaints because we we did leave it, um, you know, pretty sacrosanct to the to the studio albums and didn't didn't do all the b-sides and stuff etc but yeah so that's that's that so the first one i did was the zeppelin and then the second one i did was the clash so i loved it, it it's you know as a writer it's a very satisfying creative cool thing to do to be able to just like spout off and throw in every single factoid because if you're going to write you know it's about ninety thousand words with no interview content except for some sidebar things you know no interview content so it's it's literally you know you're you're like a a hardcore musicologist one song to the next you you gotta put it down on paper say everything you can about this and that usually means all the instrumentation the production all the lyrics all the singing everything because it's hard to write four or five hundred words six hundred words or, on one uh, or a three minute song right exactly so <laughs> that's that's it so to answer your other question uh yes i would put uh clash as my favorite punk band of all time uh the pistols album would be my favorite album though um but um you know the clash are way way up there i think they're miles ahead of pretty much every other band um and you know like every punk the only band, band that matters yeah and like every punk band they uh you know they rapidly changed and moved into other things they you know argue oh, the reggae have, side of things they only have two punk albums out of one two three four five six seven eight nine full-length pieces of vinyl out of uh what is that six albums five albums because they did a double and a triple right but yeah but basically only the first album single album second album single album are really punk yeah so the other thing about the books are are, are the presentation and uh and how you put it together and i think from what you've said earlier this goes back to your um uh your desktop publishing days right 
Well, no. I'm uh, for these books. The beauty of these books, why I loved doing them so much, is that um, I literally handed off the word file to uh, you know my mentor over there and the most awesome dude to work with, Dennis Pernu. Um, you know, it's it's really sad for both of us that that this whole music book division thing has gone away because I I ended up doing like ten books for those guys. Yeah. Um, but but no, I mean, I handed it off to Dennis and he's such a crazy music fan as well. He goes and he knows what pictures people haven't seen before and all that stuff. So he finds all this great photography. He he hunts down the memorabilia shots. They're all, you know, he makes sure he gets the highest resolution in. You know, he, he even takes a stab at writing, um, you know, all the captions, which, uh, which I appreciate. Although I have to go in and make sure, you know, I like them and make changes and check for typos and things. So I have to proof that part of it. But um, no. No, the presentations are awesome. They have killer designers over there. So the covers are always neat. You know, there's often little doodads like neon ink or embossing or foil and stuff like that, right? Um, but yeah, the presentations of all of these books, either it's the five album by albums or the illustrated histories or the Clash and the Zeppelin are, are first rate. I remember seeing the Zeppelin for the first time and going through it and going, you know what? I'd say more than half these pictures of Led Zeppelin here, I've never even seen before. So I, I love that about uh, about how cool these books look. So, and there's no more to come then, huh? No, there's no more to come. Um, you know, I I, uh, I remember once before Dennis uh, moved on to a children's book company and then he came back and I almost, I have faith somehow that, you know, it, I almost feel like they're they're taking a break and they will come back. I mean, mm. there's, a, there's a part of me that says this will all start again and we will be doing more music books eventually. But uh, no, I mean, the, the Queen, which has been out a while, um, you know, it, it, there, there haven't been any deals for a, for a long time, unfortunately. You know, so that that brings me uh, to a question about, you know, where we are uh, in in rock music history. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that, uh, you know, it no longer holds the cultural sway uh, that it once did. Uh, and that, you know, our generation uh, looks at this as our touchstone of, you know, what made us who we are. And, you know, the current generation doesn't look at music that way. It's it's a part of their life, but it is not an all encompassing part of their life. Uh, what is is social media. So yeah. you agree with that, right? Yeah, that's very interesting and very, very well put. I mean, I, I've never really thought about it quite that way or that extensively, but you're right. Um, I, I think I think what happens is, okay, A, first of all, there's tons and tons more music, so it's more fragmented and it's, it's yes. no, nobody's sharing all the same stuff. So you it's don't not a monoculture the same way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, you're right. Social media is better, but also, you know, I think, I think TV and movies have gotten way better over the decades such that there's way more, you know, emphasis on Sopranos first or, and then games, game, game of Thrones and all this stuff. So, so, and there's, and, and all of that stuff, uh, the delivery of all that, I think it's helped it a heck of a lot. Oddly, the delivery of music onto Spotify, um, you know, people talk about how it hurt the business, but um, I, I think it also somehow didn't didn't help in terms of, um, put it this way, yeah, okay, I've never thought about this before, but I, I don't think the, the ease and the cheapness in which we can get music has made music way more important in young people's lives, as you just stated. But the the, the efficient delivery of, of TV and movies 
has made that better and, and, and has made that more a part of people's lives. And of course, social media as well. Sports has basically stayed the same. I don't think there's been any changes in how yeah. sports is delivered or how people, how much people are into sports. So there are all these entertainment options. Video games is the other one. That was what I was thinking. So, mm -hmm. so that didn't exist in the 70s. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And of course, that's a massive thing in people's lives. So, so yes, video games, TV, social media, um, those have grown tenfold over. So the competition uh, for music is much, much, much bigger than it was back in the 70s. But don't you agree uh, that uh, maybe we are seeing uh, another iteration where, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, uh, you know, I personally think that the, the music of the latter half of the 20th century uh, will be as important as the Italian Renaissance. Uh, the further we get away from it, uh, the more obvious it becomes. Uh, this was uh, an, uh, an electric moment. Um, it, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's both a cultural uh, explosion and a technological one. It shows up, you know, uh, uh, post-war. Uh, it, it, it has a, a American culture fingerprints all over it. And, uh, and maybe, you know, the American uh, empire is in decline uh, and therefore, um, you know, it doesn't hold the same sway and rock and roll doesn't as well. And I mean all forms uh, of, of it. Um, but in a weird sort of way, every once in a while, just about when you think, oh, it's dead, dead, dead and gone, it like shows up in some new iteration. And I think right now you've hit on it is movies and television. There seems to be a plethora of these, you know, new ways of exposing this history. And I'll, you know, I'll take the Queen movie, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, as my first bit of evidence. Uh, a huge hit, unexpected. Uh, and now, uh, you know, every movie studio is thinking about, you know, how do they recreate that and, you know, make another rock uh, a biopic? Hmm. Interesting. I mean, there's a lot to digest there. So I, I take it what you mean uh, by this, uh, you know, as as important as the Italian Renaissance, you're probably talking about blues, the birth of rock and roll, the 60s, the 70s, right through the end of the 2000s. Is that what you mean? Uh, I, I, th I think by the, the end of the grunge movement, I think that's um, uh, mm -hmm. that's really the last great uh, iteration of, uh, of of rock and roll. I, I think rock and roll itself, it's a guitar-based um, uh, music form. I think the electric guitar is a uniquely industrial uh, uh, type of instrument, uh, which fits perfectly in, uh, in the 20th century. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, and, and again, as I said, it, it, it is, you know, American culture, which is, let's face it, the dominant uh, culture on the planet after World War II, um, that, you know, that, that becomes a global phenomenon. I also think it's the first art form that becomes a global phenomenon in real time. Uh, you know, you can see it uh, actually happening, uh, whereas uh, other art forms took, you know, ages to to d disseminate throughout the world uh mm -hmm. sort of thing but so i think those are the pieces to be ruthless about it though you know i i have seen you know people are quite shocked recently about how um the 60s playlist playlists on radio and everywhere in pop popular consciousness has been chopped down to to like you know 100 songs from a thousand songs over the last 15 20 years so i think i think and and like no one cares about big band music anymore 
you know, doo-wop and, and 50s music is not that collectible. A lot of 60s music is not that collectible. New Wave of British Heavy Metal and Punk have gone through their, the, you know, their ups and downs, and they're probably both permanently on a down. Yeah. So I think as time moves on, um, you know, I think we're going to be a little more surprised and shocked and, and dismayed about how much stuff is, is completely forgotten and nobody cares anymore. I think so, that. So you really think it's over? Well, I think it can happen, but but um, but no, I, I think certain things, if, if they're continued to be drummed into our heads, like Led Zeppelin and ACDC and to some extent Queen and the Eagles and even George Thorogood or whatever, right? Like certain, say, classic rock or, or the big classics of grunge or even the big classics of hair metal. If we continue to hear these things on radio and they continue to get be put into movies and they continue to be played at sports events uh, and put into video games and things, they will last. But there's only so much brain room with with so much creativity going on all the time. And, and as we've talked about all these competing entertainment sources, that a lot of stuff will fall by the wayside. Um, but I, I guess certain things will remain classics. But they again, they'll only be re, they'll only remain classics because they'll just be programmed into us like a cult uh, and they just won't go away. So if they keep you know, cramming this stuff. If you keep cramming Led Zeppelin into the heads of, you know, 12 year old boys and girls, like, you know, like, like Disney, some like of Mickey Mouse. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Some of them will like it, but, but I've also seen, you know, there, there is an, you know, inexorable tide or whatever. I didn't even know if I used that word right, but I mean, you know, r rap is super important to, to kids, right? And pop oh, it, is it, 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 it is the street rock and roll of today. There's no two ways about that. Hip hop yeah. is, uh, is where it's at musically. Uh, but again, I don't think that the, you know, the music is holds that, uh, that the type of sway that music did to our generation. No. And, and, you know, I often bring up the example. It's like, um, it's kind of cool. Like I remember in the very early days, you know, a new Bob Dylan album would come out or a new Lou Reed album or something, right. Or a Zeppelin album. And, you know, not only would there be a massive review in every single magazine, but sometimes there'd be two reviews, two writers. Yeah. Two different, two, two different magazine. perspectives. Right. right in right. the same magazine. Yeah. So, yeah. so we were all sharing that. Right. And, and so, you know, just to throw out numbers there, you know, music was, 30% or 50% or whatever of, of your entertainment sources. You had sports, you know, very little TV and you had music and that that's all there was really for, for your, for your entertainment dollars. Right. And, uh, you know, I remember uh, going to New York city. I remember, uh, I was quite shocked about, um, Oh, maybe this was five years ago or something, you know, walking around the streets of New York for hours and hours and hours. Right. And I'm in a rock T-shirt and then I'm in another rock T-shirt the next day and another rock T-shirt the other the next day. And I, I realized looking around and going, I, I've walked by 10,000 people in the last hour and a half or whatever. Right. I didn't spot one rock T-shirt. Right. You were the only one. Yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy, right? And and it would it would be like an event when someone actually had was was like championing a rock band on their shirt. So you know, and then you know, most of the time it was, you know, if there was anything being championed, it was just the the completely insipid, you know, corporate logo on a shirt, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's 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 funny, yeah, it's I I don't know, and then and then you can get in the debate about recorded music versus live music and how live music is surprisingly still a very vital thing. So yeah, yeah. people still do like going out to concerts, um, but yeah, it's just it it is a whole different world, that's for sure.
So after 30 years of uh, music journalism, you know, what, what do you think you've discovered? What's, you know, what, what, what are the points that still mean something to you? Boy, um, I don't know. I don't know if this answers what you're looking for, but I, I think there's still a, a, a reason for the journalist today. And that's as a gatekeeper, as someone to sift through and, and suggest things. Um, but I also, you know, I, I've always been the kind of guy that, that I, I love immersive box sets, right? Mm -hmm. And box sets that are complete. And I always like them because I love devouring the liner notes and, and being, being told, be having things pointed out to you. So you appreciate this artwork that you bought more. Right. And that's that's why I like this Clash book and the Zeppelin book. I mean, I and well, and the album by album books, because there's basically a bunch of people saying, look what happens at a minute 13. Look what happens with the guitar here. Here's where he, adds, you know, he turns his wah wah pedal on. Do you hear the tambourine back here in this Zeppelin song? Right. And, and here's here's where he hits a gong and they stick it in water and stuff. It's like, oh, cool. You know, I like that more than I did 10 seconds ago. Right. So I think I think there's still a, a good a good place for uh, uh, for having stuff pointed out to you that's all that's all rock journalism is right just just to, just to help you appreciate uh, what you're listening to more and it's the same with books and poetry poetry is just like that when you go through poetry in university it's like you read it and you go this is this is completely nonsensical I have no idea what's going on here and then the prof points out you know 50 things. 40 of which the writer didn't even intend, but whatever. It's, <laughs> you know, it's still 50 things that you go, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's, so it's the same with journalism, but I, I don't know. I don't know how else to answer your question. I, I haven't, I haven't really discovered anything, anything else other than that. Well, I, I, I think uh, we're all now rock and roll archaeologists. Uh, you know, you are going in depth into uh, each of these songs with uh, with these books. And it's unfortunate that there's not more on the on the horizon at, at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, to your point, um, you know, it's it's depth of knowledge and, uh, you know, uh, learning uh, all of the details of, uh, you know, your favorite band or your your favorite album or your favorite song. Yeah. And, you know, anybody who's who's eager and enthusiastic can go on the Internet and put up, put together all the bits and pieces and read all the different chaotic stuff and come up with the same, uh, you know, amount of knowledge just gleaned off the Internet for free. I mean, even even wiki pages are a great start. If you want to learn a lot about a band, you know, if you hit every blue hyperlink on every wiki page, uh, you know, you're, you're eventually I, I, I actually saw somewhere that somebody actually went and printed and made books out of the wiki pages probably completely illegal but uh, <laughs> but basically you know I, I think this is an example this was years ago i saw this but i think it's like if you if you gathered up all the information on the band dio that's on that's on the wiki pages without going way off off base you, you get 200 pages of stuff to read yeah so you know so it's all there right um but but again it's it's beautiful it's, it's nice to have in a book it's nice to have because it takes your, your face away from the screen and it takes you away from either the phone or your desktop or your laptop or whatever. Um, and that's why I like liner notes in box sets, too, which is, you know, that apparently is still a, uh, a pretty thriving part of the uh, 
the physical music industry is uh, is pretty elaborate box sets. And I think, yeah, people people want to sit down in not this chair, not the business chair, but the chair over there, or lie down on the bed and pull out all this cool stuff and and read it and listen to it at the same time on a better stereo, right? So, so that's that's kind of the, still the good thing about uh, print books or print in any form. It it just it it gives your eyes a rest from the screens. Well, Martin, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't talk too much about the, the third leg that you're an expert in, which is the, the prog side of things. Uh, we'll leave that for another conversation. Um, but what's what's next for you? Well, um, so I did these two books, Riff Raff, uh, the top 250 heavy metal songs of the 70s and Aces High of the 80s. And they were taken from a big poll. And I put in artist quotes and I reviewed them. So I'm going to do a 90s one, call it War Ensemble, the top... 250 heavy metal songs in the 90s. Um, I'm also um, going to uh, put out an Iron Maiden book. My old Iron Maiden book is is way out of print. Uh, so I'm going to reconfigure and add and expand and write in narrative form just a proper Iron Maiden book for the first time. And that's only going to be, that's going to be called Where Eagles Dare, Iron Maiden in the 80s. And then I'm also going to, uh, it's a bit of a long story, I won't go into it, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do three Rush books. And this is through a really cool publisher as well here in Canada, who I've worked with a lot, ECW Press. Uh, we're going to do, we're going to do a 70s Rush book, an 80s Rush book, and a 90s Rush book. Our mm-hmm. 90s and 2000s combined. There you go. There you go. Do you have a favorite band? Um, yeah, when I'm asked that question, I often get a little cheeky and say it's got to be a band that uh, that got in and got out before the 80s, before they could screw up. Um, <laughs> so uh, I often say Max Webster is my favorite Canadian band, about six albums. Uh-huh. Gillen is one of my favorite bands. Um, you know, Ian Gillen from uh, from Deep Purple, he had a yeah. band called Gillen, not the Ian Gillen band, but just Gillen, again, about six albums. Um, I love The Jam. I love XTC. Um, I love the clash. Who else? There you go. Well, Martin Popoff, thanks for being with us on Deeper Digs and Rock today. Awesome, man. This was uh, this was a lot of fun. This is uh, this was a, a great chat. Thank you very much. A great time with Martin Popoff. Let me tell you, he is a rock and roll archaeologist himself and certainly has a PhD in heavy metal. So here's the news I alluded to at the top. We've been so impressed with Martin's work that we have asked him to join our rock and roll archaeology college, where he will become the head of our heavy metal department. His new show uh, will be launched very shortly, and it's called History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Keep an ear out, and of course, I'll, I'll let everyone know the details when it arrives. Of all the genres of rock, uh, I I think it's fair to say that metalheads are the most fanatical, and I am positively certain that they have created the largest set of subgenres 
in all of music history. Yes, there are the classics. You know, the originators, uh, Zeppelin, Sabbath, Purple, with some others. Uh, And then the uh, first wave, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal. You know, think Iron Maiden, uh, uh, Judas Priest, things like that. Thrash with the three-headed monster of uh, Metallica, Slayer, and Megadeth. But let me tell you, that is just skimming the surface without name checking. You know, there's death metal and Christian metal, (laughs) symphonic and rap, Viking and pirate. Yeah, that's right. Pirate metal. And you can easily make a case for grunge as metal and therefore punk is a close cousin, if not sibling. Basically, loud guitars, hard-banging drums, and screaming vocals will get you where you need to go. A lot of people point to some of the dark imagery and lyrical content as despicable and or troubling. Uh, Sure, there are acts that are uh, outright misogynists or worse, downright white supremacists or Nazis. Uh, But that's all ridiculousness, and at best has small audiences, but makes good media play. Most rise an ugly head for a moment and are usually shouted down uh, pretty quickly uh, back into obscurity. Today, you can find a lot of fine female metal bands around these days. And let's face it, punk can shout down uh, Nazi metal any day of the week. Most is harmless fun uh, made by serious people, providing high entertainment value for your dollar. It takes significant skill to be in a metal band, and just because the lyrics and imagery might be best used to fill the fantasies of uh, adolescent males, uh, doesn't make it all bad. There is a reason there are so many subsets of this music. Anyway, we now have a bona fide expert in the field of heavy metal, and I, for one, cannot wait to learn more from Professor Popoff. In the meantime, check out his big bad library of books wherever you get your reading materials. Go out and grab his excellent coffee table book, The Clash, all the albums, all the songs. Okay, uh, this week was heavy metal. Next week, I'm digging into rap and hip-hop with Rough House Records executive and hip-hop pioneer Chris Schwartz. Keep the cards and letters coming. Tell a friend. And uh, keep up the rockin'. Last night I took a walk into the back of my mind Through the trash and the warning signs It was a party full of jokes and cliches I couldn't think of anything to say And so I slipped into the men's room Hey diggers, Christian Swain here with a short pause for a great cause. We believe music education for young people is an investment in a better future for all of us. If you listen to our podcasts, chances are you agree. Little Kids Rock has transformed the lives of more than 650,000 public school students by bringing music education into their schools. 
Little Kids Rock trains teachers in underfunded schools to teach kids the music they love. From the Beatles to Bruno Mars, Led Zeppelin to Lady Gaga, Chuck Berry to Chance the Rapper. Little Kids Rock has become a national movement to restore, expand, and innovate music education in public schools across America. Visit littlekidsrock.org and learn more about how you can help put music where it belongs, in our schools. Thank you, and let's keep up the rockin' right into the next generation. Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Christian Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with the 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 